We are indeed this morning going to focus on that little word hope that comes right near the end of that amazing Bible reading that we have just now. At tea time, when I'm getting the tea ready before, uh, before Tony comes home from work each day, um, I tend to uh, listen to something on the radio, a programme on the radio that is essentially a news programme. And just recently, um, they've started inviting listeners to um, send in recordings of just anything that is absolutely nothing to do with politics or with strife or with chaos or with the B word or anything like that, but just something like, um, and I haven't listened to any of them yet, but something like the sound of a pepper boiling or ducks quacking on the local pond or whatever it is, but just for a brief moment to give people a bit of respite from um, all the doom and gloom that does seem to threaten to over, overwhelm us, doesn't it, sometimes? I know I certainly feel like that. Aha, here we go. Our um, reading today is taken from one of Paul's letters. So here's Paul writing one of his letters. Not quite sure why he's got some blue hair at the side there, but I think it's to do with the direction of the, the way the light is falling. I'm sure that's what it is. He's writing here to these new Christians in Thessalonica. So that's the, the, the sort of scene that we can picture. We can picture him writing, we can picture him re um, reading that, that letter, opening it up with great excitement, and somebody reading it out loud to them. And what, what has Paul got to say to us today? This was only about 20 years after Jesus died. So in the very, very, very early days of the church, and this is one of the earliest books of the Bible that we have, earliest books of the New Testament anyway. Jesus promised to return. When he was with his followers here on earth, he promised them that he was coming back one day to usher in the kingdom of God in all its fullness. On the cross, that deed is done, as it were. Jesus' work on the cross is complete. But the day is coming, Jesus has promised, when he will bring the kingdom of God into all its fullness. And finally, there will be an end to the presence of sin. It will trouble us no more. And all of the evil and the suffering and the chaos and the lawlessness, through what Paul uses, lawlessness, will come to an end. But these Christians were beginning to speculate about, well, how will we know when that day is coming? You know, maybe it's going to be next Wednesday, or no, maybe not, maybe a week on Thursday. And they were trying to work out when it would be. Paul said, don't get bogged down in all those kinds of details. Christians, actually, we have tried to do that, haven't we, all down the centuries. And there have been various predictions about when Jesus um, is coming back again. And that day has come and gone and passed and nothing's happened. And we ought to be listening to what uh, both Jesus and Paul said in saying, don't get bogged down in trying to work out when it's coming. You'll know when it happens. But what they really, really, really wanted us to know was don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the evil that surrounds us, by turmoil. Don't be taken aback when chaotic times come because these things will happen before Jesus comes again. Paul speaks here of lawlessness of a man of lawlessness. We don't know who that is. We don't quite know what that means. But that very word lawlessness does seem to sum up for us, I think, 
the essence of evil, that rebellion of the human heart against God, wanting to go our own way, never mind God's ways of doing things. Lawlessness seems to be the essence of, of our basic problem. Of course, we're remembering today the many men and women and children who have fallen in um, the world's wars in recent years. We know that many of the wars of the past may have been about power grabs, land grabs, not good news, um, a symptom of lawlessness. We know that there have been conflicts in more recent years, perhaps in the last hundred years or so, where it does seem to have been a, a, an attempt to hold back that, the, the pressure of that lawlessness threatening to overwhelm the world. Sometimes it can feel almost out of control. I'm sure it did in the days um, pictured in the, the, the picture in front of us. And sometimes even today, different ways, we, can, we too can feel overwhelmed. A few months ago, Tony and I went to visit the National Memorial Arboretum. Samena Burton on Trent, isn't it? Maybe some of you have been there. It was the first time we had visited. And we spent quite a lot of time going around some of the memorials, reading the sad stories, reading about things that have been honourable, brave, tragic. And I was overwhelmed. I couldn't read many of them. I read the first few that we came across. I read them in some detail. And I could, well, do what I could to, to imagine the kind of things that had happened. And I was, I was overwhelmed with the sorrow of it. Um, particularly what overwhelmed me was, um, if you've been, you know, there's a, a big curved wall kind of in the middle, um, recording in stone the names of all of the servicemen and women who have given their lives since 1945. An amazingly large number of them. But what really, really moved me, saddened me, um, overwhelmed me, were the empty panels that are in place after all the names that are listed. There are empty panels, many of them, there in readiness, presumably to record the names of those still to come who are going to be lost in conflicts again. There's an awful sense of hopelessness, of almost the inevitability of it all. But right at the end of our visit there, we came across the chapel. And in the chapel there, there are a number of notes of Christian hope. And I was so, so glad of that. In particular, we were taken by this wood carving, which is a depiction of Jesus as a storyteller, which is something that we know we did a lot. Here he is, look, sitting on the steps, surrounded by a group of children and adults, listening closely to the story he has to tell. I can't remember the caption at the bottom, but something like the hope is the key to the future, something like that. I can't quite read it from here. Maybe you can read it from where you're sitting. But it is just a kind of indication, a hint, that for Jesus' people, our hope for the future lies in him. This is at the heart of our faith. Our hope for the future lies in him. And it's just a hint in that wood carving. But that's what gives us hope. 
And so, we're going to focus for a moment on that word hope, which is right at the end of that passage that Jeanette read to us just a moment ago. There were so many long words, you might have missed it. But right at the end, that precious little word hope, tiny little word, but full of huge, enormous meaning, especially for Christians. The popular meaning in everyday life tends to be along the lines of wishful thinking. We might say, I hope you have a good holiday, or I hope the sun's going to, sorry, I hope the sun is going to shine today, I hope we don't have any more flooding. We use it in that kind of way, maybe yes, maybe no, but I hope so, in that loose, wishful thinking kind of way. That isn't the Bible meaning of the word hope, it's a much bigger word, a much fuller, richer meaning. Hope in the Bible carries the sense of a sure and certain expectation. A sure and certain expectation. Expectation of what, you may ask? Of Jesus' return as King of kings and Lord of lords, ushering in the kingdom of God in all its fullness and making all things new. How can we live in sure and certain expectation of this? It seems like too big a promise. Experience tells us that's just too big an ask, too big a hope to have. How can we live in this sure and certain expectation? Because as Christian people, as Jesus people, we are already living in the reality of his presence with us in the here and now. Because of Jesus, we can live in the reality of that relationship with God for which we were made in the first place. The relationship with God that Jesus will bring us back into if we accept his invitation. A couple of weeks ago, Tony and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. Just before we were married, I remember this so vividly, um, Tony was working for a firm of chartered accountants, and they announced that for the three weeks immediately before our wedding, they were sending him off to Auditor Bakery in Dublin for those three weeks right before the wedding. Um, I was not a happy bunny at the time, as you can imagine. I had all the last-minute preparations of the wedding to deal with, along with my mum. But we did it. I carried on with the planning because I was already in relationship with Tony. I already knew him. And I wasn't sitting there thinking, is it worth finishing off these last invitations or making sure the cake's sorted or the flowers are going to be there on time? I wasn't sitting there thinking, is it worth it? Because... Maybe I'll come back, maybe yes, maybe no, I hope so, but maybe. That wasn't the reality that I was living in, because I already lived in the reality of our relationship. And that's what um, Paul is talking about in verses 13 to 15, right towards the end of our, our Bible reading just now. That's the reality that those first Christians were living in. That's why they could have this sure and certain expectation that Jesus was going to keep his promise. We too 
we too, you and me, here today, can live in the reality of being in right relationship with God, of coming home into the Father's presence as we take the hand that Jesus holds out to us. That can be our daily reality when we welcome Jesus into our lives. And the result? We too can live in hope. We too can live in not just wishful thinking, but solid hope in the sure and certain expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus, bringing an end to sin and suffering and tears and lawlessness and chaos once and for all. I'm going to invite Tony to come now. He's going to read to us some words from the very end of the Bible, just a few sentences, where we hear the promise of the Lord Jesus for the future. From Revelation chapter 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the sure and certain expectation that can hold us steady in troubled times. There is another letter in the, uh, in the New Testament written um, to Jewish Christians. Um, it's called the letter to the Hebrews. And in there, we read these words. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Who will hold us steady? He will. Grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Maybe that brings to mind for some of us the words of an old hymn. And I'd like to suggest we just be still for a moment, a further moment, um, while I just share the, some of the words from that old hymn and allow them to soak into our hearts and to make our own response to the Lord Jesus. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain? Will your anchor drift 
or firm remain. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Amen.